Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. I want to uh, open up today with a, a verse in the book of John. Jesus is speaking to his disciples at the Last Supper, and he says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Here's a theme that we're going to speak on today that you really find throughout all of Scripture. And Jesus continues on. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus is saying, I'm not keeping anything hidden from you. I'm letting you into the family business. I'm making you a part of my mission. There's not one side for me and another side for you. He's saying, I'm bringing you in to all that I came to accomplish. Then he goes on and he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Amen. Amen. We're starting this series called Togetherness because I, I, I think that God wants you to have good relationships in your life. Believe it or not, I think God wants you to get a date. And I think he wants the date to go well. I believe that God wants you to have healthy marriages. A home that you look forward to going home to at the end of the day. I, I, I believe that God wants you to have kids that aren't hell raisers, but that love the people of God and the things of God. And, and I believe that God wants you to have peace in your home. And I, I think so many times people say, well, of course I would want that but I don't know how I could ever get there. And many times our problems and our relationships seem unsolvable in the moment. But I think the reality is these things aren't unsolvable. And I think God still does miracles. But more than that, I think God gives you the capability to bring healing into your own atmosphere, into your home and into your family life and into your relationships. And so this series, I believe, will help you unblock some areas in your life and some old mindsets that are holding back God's blessings on your relationships. And so we're going to kind of go through some of these things that, that might be part of, of, of the buildup and the cause of the, of, the, of the dryness in your relationships, of the drought in your relationships. And, you know, you might know someone that you say, I don't need this series, but my mother-in-law needs to hear this. You can bring him next Sunday. I believe that this is really going to help you, and it's really going to help all the people around you. You know, the last few weeks, we've been talking about Jesus speaking to his disciples and saying, if you want to come after me, you have to deny yourself. Then you have to take up your cross and embrace your sacrifice. And then he says what? You have to follow me. And I wonder... Follow me into what? I think what Jesus is inviting us in this, I think what he's inviting us into is friendship. Follow me into friendship. Friendship with God and friendship with man. Follow me is, yeah, the call of every Christian, but it's the divine invitation into relationship. Deeper than that, friendship between you and God. 
And I would propose to you today that our our vertical relationship with God really permeates and should permeate all of our horizontal relationships with mankind. And I believe God's goal for you and God's goal for me, God's goal for us even as a community is to be, be able to grow healthy and vibrant relationships with the people God placed you around. Now, if you notice my phrasing there, it's not the people that God placed around you, but the people God placed you around. Because relationship doesn't start from them to you, but from you to them. Think about it. Jesus didn't walk into Galilee and say, and say who, who's here? Who's here? Who, who, wants to, who wants to show up? Who wants to hang? He purposefully went to individuals. He sought them out and invited them into a healthy, vibrant, growing relationship with him. He didn't just call them. He calls you. He calls you. And I pray that your life is filled with great relationships because I really do believe that is a huge aspect of life itself. I wonder how much of what we call and define life, how much of what we call life really is just interpersonal relationships. I wonder how much of life is really just relationships. I mean, think about it. If you maybe not you, but someone you knew, was put into prison for 20 years, went into solitary confinement six days a week. You were completely on your own, no one to talk to, no one to interact with. Would you call that living? I mean, you would have, you would have clothes. You would have three square meals a day. You, you would have a roof over your back. You would have books and you'd have an area and a space. You'd have a bed, but no one would call that life. None of us would say that that's the kind of existence I'm hoping for. What's missing? Relationships. Interaction. Friendship. There's something about friendships that bring value to life. Maybe not to survival because you can survive without relationships, but survive to what end? It's one of those intangibles that are worth everything to living. And so if we look at those stuck in solitary confinement, we would pity those. Why? Because they're cut off from fellow man, which, by the way, is what I believe hell is. It's not just torture and anger. It's being cut off from relationship with God. That's the very definition of hell. And that's why David said, God, cast me not from your presence. Do anything you want, but don't remove relationship from me to you. It's, it's, it's what brings life to living. And life without people, is, it seems a bit purposeless. It's a, it's a bit drifting. It's, it's a bit weak, you know? And, and you know what's, what's, so, what's so interesting about this is, is so many times we, we're looking to get out of relationships with people. We, we say stuff like, well, I'm not a people person. But can I say this? You are a person. And you're always around a lot of people. You can be whatever you want, but I think it would behoove you to become a people person. Tell your neighbor, you need to be a people person. Listen to what God says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Here's the beginning. Bible says, the Lord God said, it is not good for what? For man to be alone. 
He makes all of creation, every single thing he does is good, 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 good. All the way good. And then God makes man and he even says man is good. But he says, but here's the problem. It's not good that there's just him. Listen, listen, the problem before sin was isolation. It's the first problem that we find in humanity. Because see, we think all of our problems are sin. But can I, can I propose to you that maybe there's another problem is the fact that you are isolated from true, deep, meaningful relationships and community. Isn't this amazing? Where God looks down at Adam and says, he is not enough alone. You know, you've heard the phrase, you can go farther alone, but uh, you can go faster alone, but further together. But the reality is, even if you go farther along, who cares? No one's there. God looks down and he says, no, I, I need to bring people around, around Adam, around humanity. You know, what's interesting is in God's, in God's equation here, community brings completeness to his creation. God made all these things and all of it was good, but he says there's still yet something unfinished and the unfinished aspect was relationship. So, you know, you've heard the phrase, you complete me. It's technically, in some way, kind of true. Instinctually, a man knows that he is incomplete without a woman. Now, I don't want you to get weird about that and obsessive about that, but there is something in the covenant of marriage that God brings to bring a completeness together. The man will leave his father and mother's house, Jesus says, which is Jesus speaking to millennials, the, the, the man will leave and then cling to a woman because who knows how he got her, so hold on tight. And then they call that marriage. When God's looking, he says, you're incomplete, and not just with marriage, but without community. Your man is incomplete, not just in marriage, because don't, don't, don't just get too deep into this, the greater concept is community brings completeness to you. You will not be your best self alone. So sometimes you think, I just got to get away from these people. And I got to get away from them. And I got to get a new job. And I, and I got to get out of here. And I got to go somewhere else. And I got to go where, 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 where nobody knows my past. So then I can finally be me. But the reality is your best self is not made in isolation. Your best self is made in community with God-fearing, faithful friends around you. Community completes God's act of creation. The New York Times just released an article about the loneliness epidemic. Do you know that they just created a position in the, in the government of Great Britain, the Minister for Loneliness? Because it's such an epidemic that's hitting that country. And obviously I believe it's connected to our disconnection in, digital age, in the digital age. Who would have ever thought that the more connections we have digitally, the less uh, real connection we have actually? But there's an epidemic of loneliness that is hitting uh, young people, primarily 18 to 25. They say people who are 72 and older are less lonely than the current generation that's coming in. It's incredible. And what they have found is that those uh, over, over 50, uh, those that are, are struggle with loneliness, extreme loneliness and isolation, are 50% more likely to die prematurely if they live lonely as opposed to those who are in healthy social relationships. Loneliness leads to death, but community leads to life. You know what they're actually saying? They're saying grandma's bingo game is keeping her alive. 
She's winning $1.50 here and there, but she's really winning life. There's just something about healthy social relationships that make life worth living. So we got to get good at these things. Think about what happened when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. They had broken relationship with God. They, they, had, they had gone after a lesser relationship and with, with the snake, and they were, they were tempted away. And you know the story. God's walking in the garden, and he's looking for Adam and Eve, and, and they're hiding from him because our reaction when, whenever we do something uh, that we're ashamed of in relationship is to avoid the relationship as opposed to confront the mistakes that we made be challenged, convicted, and let there be change. So they're avoiding, and here's God speaking out. And you know what the Bible says? God asks, where are you? And really, that's God's call to you. It's God's call to me. It's God's call to humanity. Where are you? It's a longing for relationship. Because see, God didn't just make Eve. God himself came into the garden. And now here is the church of three. It's so powerful. Every day they're communing together. When that's broken, God says, I'm missing this. Where did you go? Why are you hiding? Why is there distance? Because it's never God that's distant from us. It's always us that becomes distant from God. Always. God is the one that asks, where are you? We are the one who hides in shame. And God is seeking your friendship. He's longing for communion, communion, community with you. And because of sin, there was separation in relationship. But if you look through the breadcrumbs of the Bible, you see that God's goal was always to restore that relationship. Right away, we find that the Bible says that Enoch walked with God. It's a picture of friendship. And God loved Enoch so much, he says, you're not even going to taste death. I'm going to take you right into my presence. Abraham, God shows up to, chooses him, and the Bible says God called Abraham friend. You think about Moses. When God speaks to Moses, the Bible says that Moses and God spoke face to face as a friend speaks to another friend. I'm able to see from the beginning, right after the garden, God's trying to restore friendship, not just relationship, not just connection, but friendship with humanity. And of course, this culminates in Jesus. Jesus's purpose was not just to save you. It was not just to forgive you. His purpose was to restore relationship with you and become friends with you. It's the very reason Jesus came was to restore relationship between God and man. And by the way, when your relationship between God and man is restored, it begins to permeate all the relationships between men and women. You cannot have a good relationship with God and hate everybody around you. You can't have a healthy relationship with God and be negative and be a bridge burner and be angry and be bitter with everyone around you. Because eventually, if you're truly connecting with God, the Holy Spirit begins to flow not just in you, but through you. And I want you to know the Holy Spirit cares about your relationships. That's why he convicts you to say, go say sorry. Call that person back. Come on, say you were wrong. Because the Holy Spirit actually cares about your friendships because he knows how much it's connected to your value, to yourself. See, Jesus came to restore a relationship between God and man and, and man and man and And we see this culminate in his ministry at the Last Supper. Jesus had gathered together all of his disciples, all 12 of them, and he's in the city of Jerusalem. This is is the end of the journey. He's walked three and a half years with these men. 
They've seen the parables. They've seen the miracles. They've seen him walk on water. There is relationship that is formed. And Jesus says, before I go to the cross, I want to do something. Before I, I sacrifice it all and I endure the torturous affair that, it, that I have come for, before I do that, what do I want to do? I want to hang out with my friends. So amazing, the humanity of Jesus. By the way, one of the most sacred and spiritual things you can do with someone is have a meal with them and put your phones down at the end of the table. That's biblical. That's what Jesus did. He said, stack up your phones. Come over here. Judas kept his phone. Interesting. All 12 of them are gathered together and, and they shut the door and they have a meal together. And if you read the book of John, the whole second half of the book of John all takes place in this room. It's so powerful that the Bible is trying to show us how much of his ministry was friendship. Look how many of his sermons were taught around a table. Look how how many of his miracles happened within a home. Jesus is trying to show us it's not just the arenas or the fields or nature where spirituality happens. It's in the everyday. It's in the here and now. It's with real people in real homes with real needs. And so he gathers his friends. And I know you call them disciples, but here something magical is about to happen. A transformation. Supernatural is going to happen. Jesus gathers his friends for the culmination, and, and this is what he says, almost as if of the importance of something someone would say on their deathbed. Before they're going to be scattered, and, and one of them is going to be gone from the group forever. God takes the original 12, and he, he speaks to them This specific word, he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant just does what they're told. They don't know why. They don't know what. They don't know where. They they don't know the backside of the business. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm not just going to tell you what to do. I'm going to invite you into relationship. I no longer call you servants. Instead, I have called you friends. Think about it. The message that Jesus wants to get across before the cross is that he's here to make friends. He's here to turn you into someone that just does, into someone that has a living, active, vibrant, real relationship with him. I don't know if this blows you away like it does me, but to me, it's so powerful that of all the things Jesus could have done, with all the might and all the power, that his final night, His choice of subject is to make sure we all know he wants to be your friend. He wants to be close to you. He wants to know you. He's interested in your life. So then, the mark of a follower is friendship, both with God and with other people. Look look at what it says in John 13. By this, Jesus says, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is the mark of a disciple. Is it prophecy? Is it power? Is it great sermons? Is it large churches? Or is the mark of followers of Jesus Christ their friendship, their love for each other? Now, now it's not that they're all going to agree on everything. It's not that they're going to be BFFs forever. It's not that, that, there's complete, that, there's, that there's complete agreement, but there is complete love. The mark of our following is that we are friends with each other. What's Jesus saying? He's saying what we should reflect to others is the fact that we have healthy, normal, love-filled relationships. 
That's the identifying mark to Jesus of a Christian. I wonder if that is the identifying mark for us. I wonder if people would know you're a Christian by looking at your interactions by looking at your marriage, by, by looking at your, your relationships with your kids, by looking at your friendships, would people be able to divine that you're a Christian if you didn't have a cross in your profile, but they could just tell by your words and your actions and your lifestyle? The mark of a Christian is not what you profess. Your mark of your Christian is what your relationships look like. And so God's saying, reflect me. I'm going to be a friend to you. Now you become a friend to others. And I think that it's difficult to become friends. And I think it's, I think it's devalued in this time. In this time where we want to get stuff done, we got to hustle, we got to make money, we got to, we got to put food on the table, we, we got to put a roof over our heads, we, we, got, to, we got to build up all this stuff, and, and we got to make it, we got, to, we got to fulfill our ambitions, become successful and have influence, and, and all the noise of the world and the things we have to get done, it's almost like friendship has been so devalued. And, and more than that, it's kind of become blurry because you have a thousand friends on Facebook, but you don't know any of them. And they don't know you because, see, there's a difference between knowing of and knowing truly. And, and so I think friendship has become a lost art. It, it, it's, become, it's become devalued. It's become something that, that we don't even seem to think is worth getting good at, improving and working on. And yet Jesus says, I want your friendships to be one of your primary witnesses to the fact that you're a Christ follower. So today, I want to talk to you just a couple points on the lost art of friendship how to become a good friend, how to have good relationships. And over the next few weeks, we're going to expand this to talk about your marriage, to talk about your family, to talk about dating relationships, because I know you all need help there, <laughs> especially Providence. They need a lot of help. The lost art of friendship. Here, here's, here's the, first, here's the first, first practice in the lost art of friendship. Become a friendly person. Become a friendly person. Try it. Go ahead, smile real quick. Some of you are saying, nope. You have failed at point number one. Become a friendly person. Here's some features of friendliness. Number one, you'd be encouraging. These are some things that friendly people exemplify in their life. They're encouraging. Everybody wants to be around someone that cheers them on, that says, hey, you're doing a good job. Hey, I'm proud of you. Hey, that was awesome. That was so cool what you did. And maybe you say, no, it was no big deal. But you know, it was a big deal. I, was, I did do pretty good. I, 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 I got a nice haircut. I, I did pick out these shoes. Yeah, I, 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 I got the promotion, you know. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's just, it's just, it's no big deal. I had to fight for it. I prayed hard. I, what do you think I was fasting for? Everyone... Everyone wants an encouraging person. Let me tell you, encouraging people are never short of friends. They're never short of friends. Everyone loves walking away from an interaction feeling better about themselves. And you can make every single person walk away from you feeling good about what happened by simply encouraging them. And, and you might even say, well, I, I don't know. I don't know them very much. Start with something. Tell them their shoes are cool. Tell them, tell them they, they got a great accent. I don't know. Give them something. But listen, this is something you're going to have to practice because you're not good automatically at encouraging. You're good at criticism automatically. You're good at negative. You're good at pointing out. That comes naturally to you. 
Encouraging must be practiced. But let me tell you, the more you do it, the more you're going to get good at it, the more you're going to want to do it, the more people are going to come around you, and all of a sudden, you might even become known as an encourager. Barnabas means the son of encouragement. So who did Paul first need to get with in order for his ministry to go forward? Encourager. Here's another feature of friendliness. Be a good listener. Be a good listener. Let me tell you, this is a lost art today. Don't wait for your opportunity to talk. Listen. Listen without listening for an opportunity for you to say something. Just listen. I'm telling you, if you have the ability to listen, you will have so many people wanting to be your friend. Do you know how much people pay other people to sit on a couch and listen to them for an hour? You could charge by the hour to just listen. And let me tell you, people love to talk about themselves. Well, we don't know what to talk about. Say, hey, how's it going? All of a sudden, people will say, interesting you asked. I'm in a big fight with my cousin right now, and I feel like God's speaking to me, and someone hit my mailbox, and all of a sudden, you got a friend because you're a good listener. All right, all right, let me move on. I got too, I got too many more. Come on, be faithful. Be faithful. Don't go around, uh, uh, let me say it this way. If someone, friendships are formed through trust, and trust is earned. And sometimes, by the way, it takes a little while for trust to be earned right? But when you prove yourself to be a faithful friend, again, you will have no shortage of people wanting to be your friend. When people put their trust in you, make sure you don't break it. If someone tells you something that to ask, they say, hey, will you pray for me? Don't say yes and then not pray. Go ahead, pray, and let them know you're praying. A couple of days later, ask them, hey, how did it go? All of a sudden, people will say, man, you're more than an acquaintance. You actually care. If someone trusts you with something, don't go break their confidence. You know what I'm saying, where you go, hey, I'm not supposed to say anything, so don't say anything. But they already told you not to say anything. What? Of course this person's going to say something, you're saying something. Now, if someone trusts you, make sure you are worthy of their trust. Be faithful to them. And by the way, when they are not a perfect person, because that should not ever be your standard of relationship, be faithful to them even in their imperfections. Another great... A uh, feature of friendliness is be slow to anger. Nobody wants to be friends with a hothead. Nobody wants to be friends with a know-it-all. Come on, nobody wants to be around someone that always looking to fight. Always having to back you up. Oh, we're in another one. All right, get the gang. Come on, no, no one wants to be around the person that always knows the answer to everything. This isn't Jeopardy. No one wants to be around that person. But let me tell you, everyone wants to be around someone that doesn't get angry quickly. That gives a little bit of margin for your humanity. You know what I'm saying? Everyone wants to be around someone that's quick to forgive because you're the hothead. <laughs> There's going to be times that you go over the line where you say something dumb. And the Holy Spirit conviction, you say, you know what? Hey, I was really sorry about that. And a great friend doesn't bring it up eight months later. By the way, this is in marriage. Hello. A great friend doesn't hold on to the bomb to bring it back out in an argument four months later. They're quick to forgive, and their forgiveness is final. Slow to anger, quick to forgive, everyone's gonna wanna be your friend. Here's the last feature of friendliness, celebrate people. Listen, you'll know a true friend is someone that you can, you can tell them when something bad happens in your life. And you'll know a true friend when you can tell them when something good happens in your life. Without them getting weird, without them having a topic, 
Well, well, this is this is what's going on in my life. Well, let me let me tell you what. Oh, oh you you got a you got a raise in your company? Well, my my, my uncle just started a company. No. <laughs> if you can celebrate people, you'll have people around you all the time. And by the way, I believe there's a spiritual aspect of this. If you can become a celebrator, God will put you around people that need to be celebrated. He'll put you around people that need that encouragement that need that forgiveness, that need just a little bit of push. And then when they become successful and you did have a part of it, it's not your moment to gloat, but you can have that assurance. You and the Holy Spirit say, I did have a part of this. Thank God. Thank God. When you become a celebrator of people, everyone's going to want to be around you. These are features of friendliness. Because here's the reality. Friendship is voluntary. You have to win people. You're going to have to win people. Now, maybe, all right, in fourth grade, you had a Snickers bar. Some other kid had a Snickers bar. You became friends forever. (laughs) But as you begin to grow into adulthood, friendships aren't formed like that. Friendships have to be invested in. They have to be searched out. Might I even say they have to be cultivated. And friendship is voluntary. In other words, if you are not a friendly person, you will have no friends. And you can complain about it all day long. But the reality is only you can change it. Because no one can force, force someone to be a friend with someone that ain't all that friendly. No, it's a voluntary thing. So people are either going to lean into you or people are going to lean away from you. All right, your coworkers, they got no choice. They're sitting around you. But everyone that has a choice, they will vote with their feet. They will either walk away or they walk towards. But let me tell you the good news. You can win a friend. You can win people. You can win them through those features of friendliness and get people around. And, and, and again, this affects your marriage because you might think, oh, it's so far gone. But if you begin to focus less on being their lover and more on being their friend, you'll find that the whole love thing begins to happen all over again. There should have been more amens on the marriage thought right there. <laughs> you know what's interesting? Interesting to me? Everyone wanted to be Jesus' friend. Everyone. The only people that didn't want to be Jesus' friend were all the people that exemplified the opposite of the friendliness thing. They were critical. They were angry. They were were, uh, defensive. They they had a a bunch of unspoken rules. The the Pharisees and Sadducees. Everybody else wanted to be Jesus' friend. They all, Zacchaeus was up in a tree saying, like, please pick me. Please pick me. Peter and Matthew, fishermen and, and the common people, tax collectors. In fact, when the Pharisees, when they got close to Jesus, they said, you know what? You're a friend of sinners. It's amazing what they meant as an accusation we take as the greatest name of Jesus. He is a friend of sinners because that's, that's us. Isn't it amazing? Everyone wanted to be around Jesus. So the more you become like Jesus, the more there should be some crowds that follow you. Now, listen, there might be some people that hate you, and there might be some people that persecute you, but those aren't the people you're trying to win in your friendship. Let the Pharisees and the Sadducees be themselves. It's amazing how much Jesus didn't preach to the haters. It's amazing. He exposed it, but he focused on those that wanted the healing, that wanted his friendship, that wanted his presence. That's what I hope you would focus on as well. Everyone wanted to be Jesus' friend. And, uh, and, and I pray that people want to be your friends. And, and you might say, well, you know, I don't have any good friends. I don't, I don't have anybody that's around me. Can I, can I encourage you? Uh, begin to invest. Become the friend. Become the friend that you want people to have. By the way, this works in marriage. If you're always complaining about what your spouse is doing wrong, that does not correct them. 
But if you encourage what, you're, what they're doing right or what you encourage what you would want to see more of, that is so much more powerful of a motivator than critical of what they're doing incorrectly. When you begin to invest in this, all of the sudden you become a person people want to be around. And let me tell you, I can help you with this. Lead a crew. Lead a crew. Join a crew. Go up to the cafe after church. Don't run to your car like you're Usain Bolt. Go upstairs. Go to the cafe. Buy two donuts. Sit down. Someone says, this seat taken? Say, no, I actually bought you a donut. Can I, can I propose to you? No nap Sundays. Uh, now I'm getting to you. Now I'm getting to you. No nap Sundays. Don't rush home and say, everyone, shut up and get... Go out to a restaurant and invite some people out with you afterwards. Within four weeks, you're going to find some friendships because I believe God wants to place people around you that need people like you. Amen? Okay, point number two, take the initiative. Take the initiative. Be the person. Seek people out. Don't wait to be sought out. Think about what Jesus did. Jesus found Peter and Andrew. Jesus found James and John. Jesus found Zacchaeus. Jesus found Matthew. You be the one. Don't complain and say, I got nobody. You be somebody for somebody. Take the initiative, invest, cultivate, and you will begin to build friendships because that's, what they, that, that's how they work. They have to be built intentionally. Now, listen, I'm not talking about networking. Not talking about networking. No one likes to be networked. All right, it's slimy and weird. Don't add me on LinkedIn. I don't want to be networked. I'm talking about friendship. There's something a little bit deeper. Sometimes you might not get something out of the friendship. In fact, you might put more into the friendship than you ever get out of the friendship. Welcome to life. But the goal, if the goal is always self, you'll always be feeling lacking. You'll always feel like a victim. You'll always feel less. But if you begin to turn and say, this is how friendship, I think, works. I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to take up my cross. I'm going to follow you into friendship. When you begin to apply that, not just to Jesus, but to everyone around you, I am telling you, you will begin to have faithful friends that will be there in your moment and hour of need. Listen, everyone needs a Paul which is the leader you're looking up to. Everyone needs a Barnabas, which is a friend who's an encourager. And everyone needs a Timothy, which is someone that they're helping lead the way from. Everyone needs those three types of people in their life. Can I encourage you? Tonight's the Super Bowl. It's one of the few holidays where we all go over people's houses that aren't our family. Purposefully invite people into your space. Not just people you're extremely comfortable with. I'm not saying don't invite people you're uncomfortable with. But not just people you're, that, you're, that, you know, the usual. Begin to expand your circle. Come on, take the initiative. Invite some people over that you could, but, it, you know, you don't really know them all that well. But maybe you need them. Maybe they need you. Begin to expand your circle. Number three. Number three. Lost art of friendship. Here's another element. Choose very carefully. Who you get around is who you become like. You've heard Jim Rohn say it's so powerful. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. They've done studies on this, and it's actually statistically true. And not only do you become like the people in personality. You ever hang around someone so long you start laughing like them, telling jokes like them? They rub off on you, and it's true. But you also become like them in your marriage, in your relationships, and financially as well. Most of the five, the five closest people to you, if you average what they make, you make within that average of what they make. There's just something about rising or falling to the level of your friendships. It's been said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And it's true. Listen, people will either propel you or they'll impede you. 
So you have to choose very, very carefully about the people you get around. They will affect your choices. They will affect your mental health. They will affect your physical health. They will affect your spiritual health. They will affect your finances. So choose very carefully about the friends that you have around you. And might I say this? Don't let it be random. You have a say in this choice. You have a say in this choice. Some of you need to expand your circle. Some of you need to make your circle a little bit smaller. Invest in in friendships that are not just drawing life out of you, but are bringing life into you. Invest into people that are further ahead of you. Listen, if you got a big ego, you're not going to be able to do this. But listen, big ego, people with big ego, usually they're a small person. But when you're able to be humble and get around people that are smarter than you, better than you, maybe, maybe they're further along in their life or career or relationships than you, you're going to be able to become better. Hear me. Get alongside people that inspire you, that push you, that believe in you, and you will become better because of your relationships. Because hear me, those you surround yourself with become the standard by which you measure yourself. Do not lower the circle of people around you and then call yourself a success. You could put a normal high schooler in fifth grade and he looks like a genius, but you put him in high and you put him in Harvard Law, he looks like a lightweight. Sometimes you have to raise your standard of who you have around because it's not any good to be a big fish in a tiny little pond. You want to grow. You want to grow. Listen, look at, look at uh, what the Bible says in, in Proverbs. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. Look at what Paul says in Corinthians. He says, he says, do not be misled. Come on, get this straight. Bad company corrupts good character. You have to be careful. Listen, I believe you should be a light, but you have to be very, very careful that you're not around so much darkness all the time that your light begins to fade and you think, oh, it's still brighter than them. The reality is bad company corrupts good character. Get around people that raise your standards, not lower your standards. Look at what Booker T. Washington says about friendships. He says, associate yourself with people of good quality, for it is better to be alone than in bad company. You want to get around people that make you better and you make better. Number four, final point, risk the disagreement. Look at this verse in Proverbs. Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. You want to be around people that make you sharp mentally and spiritually, make you sharp in your character. You don't want to be a dull blade around a bunch of other dull people. We're all dull together. We got no opinions. We got no thoughts. We're not learning nothing. We're dull. We're dull. We're boring. We're not doing anything. I hope the Super Bowl's canceled. I am out of here. We are dull. I'm not going out. I'm not traveling. I'm dull. This is a Pastor Steve bit right here. I am dull. I'm not into it. I'm not going to be into it. I'm dull. You need to not get around that. Those people age prematurely. They are mad old and you're 25. I'm dull. Now I get around people that make you sharp. And might I suggest you need someone to disagree with you a little sometimes. It's good for you to have a little bit of disagreement because see, friends refine you. Friends polish your personality. Do you know that the only way you will polish a precious rock is by adding in pressure, irritants, and friction? Do you know that the way that they, they uh, polish rocks is by adding in other stones to polish that rock? And they shake it and shake it all night. And it's the st- sand and the rock and the friction that begins to make the stone something worthy of being displayed. Hear me. God will use situations and other people 
And you think they're just irritating, but God's saying they're the right kind of irritating because they need to knock some junk off of you. They need to help refine your personality. Listen, if you will pay attention, people will help you become good at being social. They will help you learn how to be active and and successful in the world around you. If you only have friends that oh, never ever disagree with you, I mean, might I suggest that you need to get a better quality of friend. Listen, you don't wanna be someone that always puts out eggshells all the time and makes everyone tap dance all around your weird stuff. That's what the Pharisees did. They had unwritten laws and rules. They held everyone else to account and everyone didn't wanna be around these people. But Jesus said, look, I know you're all screwed up. Come to me, I'll help you, I'll challenge you, I'll make you better, but I'll love you through the process. I pray you're around people that you can disagree without becoming adversaries. You can disagree without them becoming the enemy. Listen, I think one of the major problems in this society is we have not, especially with the younger people, we have failed to learn how to resolve conflict. And therefore, we have, we have, we're fragile. We don't have the ability to grow our character because we're afraid of conflict. We think conflict is a negative, but that's not necessarily true. Conflict, conflict many times can make you more. I pray we're filled with church and you're people that are anti-fragile, that you're resilient, that you got mental toughness, you got a strong character, you got ideas. And let me, let me tell you something, people can disagree with you without becoming your enemy. At least with strong people, that's the truth. You can have friends that vote differently than you. You can have friends that believe differently than you. You can have friends that don't like the same kind of movies as you. You can have friends that don't need to be in 100% agreement in order to be in unity. This will help you. It'll help grow you. Because if you're only around people that like the same stuff as you and do the same stuff as you, you become a clone. Not unique. Not interesting. Not expressive. God wants you to be you. And he wants your weirdness to come alongside their uniqueness. And together he... He makes a beautiful tapestry of what it looks like to love, despite dis differences. Solution is not to avoid when you have disagreement. See, that's what Adam and Eve did. We have a disagreement with God, so we have to hide away. Don't let that be your go-to. Where you have a weird thing happen, then you go home. You don't say anything in the moment. You go home, you text them. You add in an emoji. It's confusing. Nobody grows from that. Well, stand up. State your opinion and see if you agree and can move together. Because see, sometimes conflict will even reveal, will these people and should these people be in your future or not? Maybe you should grow further apart. Maybe you should grow closer together. But let these moments help guide you through this and allow God to challenge you in the area of relationships. Allow God to challenge you in the area of relationships. What was Jesus' prayer at the Last Supper? He said, God, I pray that, that these people, that my disciples are one as we are one. What was Jesus' final prayer for us in the Last Supper? That we would have friendship with each other, unity with each other, love for each other, and that we would become one as he is one. That's what God's goal is for you. Yes, he wants to restore your relationships, heal you. God's goal is for you to have healthy and vibrant relationships with God and man. Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, 
visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.